Welcome to Reformed Rakes, a historical romance podcast that would never leave our wedding night to fight outside your window. I'm Emma, a law librarian writing about justice and romance at the Substack Restorative Romance. I am Beth, and I'm on Book Talk under the name Beth Heyman Reads. My name is Chels. I'm the writer of the romance Substack, The Loose Cravat, a book collector and book talker under the username Chels underscore ebooks. And today we're going to be talking about the first in Alice Coldbreath's Victorian Prizefighter series, A Bride for a Prizefighter. This book was independently published in 2020. This series is unusual in that none of the leads so far are a part of the aristocracy, or even really the landed gentry. In this first book, the hero, William Nye, is the illegitimate son of a Viscount, and the heroine, Mina, is a second-generation schoolteacher. Not only is the series removed from the expanded universe of the gentry and the aristocracy, but it is also set in the world of prizefighting. Historical romance does take up pugilists frequently. The bare-knuckle bastards of Sarah McLean's universe, Lisa Klebus has a former boxer hero, Tessa Dare also has one. But Coldbreath settles the reader into the world of prizefighting in a way that feels different from these other books. These are not prizefighters attempting to enter the world of the Tan, but just existing in their working-class lives. And Coldbreath's heroines are types that might be relegated to the edges of the narrative in other historicals as well. In an interview with the website NF Reads, Coldbreath said, I've always found myself wondering about the fate of the supporting characters who surrounded the peerless, violet-eyed female lead, the sensible, plain-featured friend, the plump sister, or the cousin whose mother married into trade and always says the wrong thing. Where were their romances, I always wanted to know. Now I take great satisfaction in writing their happily ever afters. I think this captures Coldbreath's writing philosophy and what she accomplishes with this series so well. Here we get to see what might be a side love story from beginning to happily ever after. So how did we all find these books? I think I read them first on Chelsea's recommendation. Is that also true for you, Beth? Yes, I remember the TikTok even and was like, I'm going to save this series because I know I'm going to like it. <laughs> so, well, Chelsea, how did you find it then? If we oh. can get it from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I I think somebody read it on Goodreads and I was like, that looks really good. And you know what's quite funny is that I had the idea, for some reason I was like, these are closed door romances. I don't know why I thought that. That was very wrong. They are not. They are absolutely not. They're not. It's no. <laughs> interesting. So kind of uh, pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Maybe it's yeah, the, I covers. Was the covers are very pretty, yeah. but I think there is something that is like almost like Amish romance about them. Yeah. yeah, like the lighting that. even is what makes me think that. Um, yeah, that's I. I just I just got it in my head, and then <laughs> you know, about at a certain point, I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> all right. So I'm gonna do a quick summary of the book so that we're all on the same page. So Minerva Walters, who goes by Mina, has lost a father and gained a half brother. She'd been working at her father's school for girls in Bath, and after her father's death, the school is going to close down. But before he died, her father told her he had written to her half-brother and that the brother would be coming to take care of Mina. Jeremy Viscount Ferris is the product of her mother's first marriage that had ended in divorce. He sweeps her away towards his estate in Cornwall, but Jeremy is incredibly mischievous and later revealed to be on an alcoholic binge during this period. So he takes her to an inn called the Merry Harlot and insists that she marry its owner, William Nye. Jeremy owns a house that Nye believes to be rightfully his, and Jeremy makes the marriage a condition of Nye taking over the house. Mina also has no choice in the marriage, far from her home, which doesn't really exist for her anymore anyway, and without any prospects, she feels she sort of has to marry in order to have a roof over her head. The wedding and the beginning of the marriage do not go well. 
After the wedding ceremony, Nye leaves Mina at the church and she refuses Jeremy's help to return to the inn, so she must walk back on the rocky landscape herself. When she arrives back at the harlot, Mina begins to learn the nature of the public's house's business, part bar, part brothel, part fight club. Nye sends her to rooms in the attic. Through the window of Mina's attic room in the early hours of the morning, she can often hear a rumbling and dragging sound. She's not quite sure what it is, but Nye seems to discourage her from investigating it any further, though it's pretty obvious based on the luxuries that the inn has and Nye's financial situation that he's involved in some sort of smuggling enterprise. When Jeremy comes to visit Mina and Nye at the Merry Harlot, he reveals another motivation for the marriage. Nye and Jeremy are also half-siblings, sharing a father, with Nye being the result of the earlier Viscount's affair with Ellen Nye, Nye's mother. As Mina is attempting to clean some windows with newspapers, Nye sees her rummaging through the stacks of papers and snaps at her, saying they're being saved for clippings of his prize fights. After dismissively pointing out that he neither asked for a wife or needed one, Mina bolts out of the house without much thought, running full speed towards the rocky coast. Rather than running over the cliff, she climbs down it to get to the coastline. When Nye finally catches up with her, she beats his chest with her fist and screams at him, I don't want you either. After she wears herself out, Nye carries her back up the cliff and matter-of-factly insists she take a bath and put on warm clothes. He prepares her for bed, making sure she is clean, dry, and has eaten. This is the first real intimacy between husband and wife. Nye continues to be taciturn and laconic, not explaining much to Mina about new expectations that he has for her, including that she stay in a parlor that he decorates with her mother's things rather than take up chores. Over the next few days, Mina continues to make herself useful in the inn and becomes closer to the employees of the harlot, including Ivy and Edna, the two maids. When she once again puts it in her mind to clean the windows with newspaper, Nye sorts through the newspapers to set aside clippings and provides her with enough to do her cleaning. While Mina is cleaning the windows, a man and a woman come to the inn, and the man assumes that Mina is a sex worker at the brothel and speaks rudely to her. Mina recognizes the young woman as a former pupil, Cecily, and realizes that Cecily is in distress, having run away with the man, but now is now regretting her decision. Mina hides Cecily, and when the, ma when the man asks where Cecily has gone, Mina pretends to have no idea. Nye happens upon the scene and is furious that the visitor is mistreating Mina so harshly, and the man is thrown out of the Mary Harlot. Later, Mina has to tell Nye that she is harboring Cecily, and they must return her to her guardian, Sir Matthew, a local justice of the peace. The visit to Sir Matthew puts into focus for Mina how much her life has changed in the course of the six, past six weeks. He is the kind of man she was hoping would be her employer as a governess, but she finds him unfeeling and bombastic. She opens up to Nye on the way back to the inn about the circumstances of her father's death and, she found, and how she found herself in Cornwall. Nye remains quiet, but surprises Mina when he asked her about her interest in being his wife in earnest. She had assumed he meant that they would lead completely separate lives. Mina does not seem to fully understand what she might be agreeing to when it comes to wifely duties, but she's uninterested in half measures. Nye immediately kisses her, and Mina becomes overwhelmed and unsure of herself, but Nye promises they will try again later. Nye and Mina start being a couple in earnest in fits and starts, and Mina is surprised at both how much she responds to Nye in bed and how talkative and demonstrative her very stern husband is with her. Another fight night is going to be held at the Merry Harlot, and this gets Mina more involved in the world of prize fighting and running the inn to the point that when Sir Matthew visits to thank her for returning Cecily and he begins to offer her a position, Mina has no qualms about cutting him short and refusing to consider leaving her husband or her new life. Nye frets over Mina's presence with the prizefighters, and she misinterprets him as embarrassed or unfeeling towards her, but he makes it clear he just wants everyone to respect her. They fall into domestic roles in their marriage, but then Mina is kidnapped by two of the workers at the inn. 
They are part of the smuggling ring that is run out of the inn and are angry that Mina has unknowingly spurred Nye into wanting to be part of only legitimate businesses. They plan to use the gossip about Mina bolting towards the cliff as a way to cover up her murder as a suicide. Nye brings investigators to the house where Mina was kidnapped, sacrificing himself in order to save her because he is then arrested for his part in the smuggling scheme. Mina is able to use her connections with Jeremy and Sir Matthew to secure his release, and after a small misunderstanding where Nye is still prepared to fall on his sword and doubts Mina's commitment to him, they fully reconcile and get to go on a honeymoon of sorts to Exeter. So when I first read Cold Breath, I was struck by a few things right away. First off, this is one of the first books I've read where neither member of the couple is part of the landed gentry, much less the aristocracy. And in a similar but distinct vein, I was surprised how much I enjoyed the world-building aspects of it. I frequently say that I do not really enjoy world-building and romance at all. It's one of the reasons that I struggle through fantasy novels. I felt like this sort of explained away my supreme affection for Regency and Victorian books. I feel like when I'm reading those books, the world is already set. I know what the stakes of the Tawn are, who I know who the Lady Patronesses are at all max. Colbreth divests from that quite a bit. We are firmly in the Victorian period. The book is set in 1843. And though Mina's half-brother is a Viscount, we aren't really concerned with groups that we already know as historical romance novel readers. Prize fighting is central to this series, and I can think of other books where it makes appearances, but it's much more integrated into the plot of this book. So I was wondering if both of you could speak about your relationship with world building as a function of romance, if you feel like you love it or if you hate it, when your impression of how Cold Breath builds out this new world for us. Um, yeah, so I tend to say that I struggle with world building too, but I think that might be because I'm thinking of high fantasy world building that can be a bit info dumpy if the author isn't careful with it. When I start to think about when it comes to historicals, I actually tend to enjoy it more often if there's a noticeable element of world building. If I can't easily be dropped in, if the author has to put considerable thought into politics, art, and the way that people behave in the time. I also agree with both of you, which is why we all read romance. (laughs) Uh, Lots of world building is going on in romance. I want to make that clear. But I read romance because it's typically character first and then the world is secondary. But an author can tell us so much about a character by how they interact with the world around them. So I like it in details as part of the character's life. I don't want one character giving a paragraph of needed information for the main character to quest. To be fair, my favorite kind of fantasy is where the author also layers in the information like through dialogue, and then it will serve a dual purpose of like revealing another character's intentions. I would say world building is one of Cold Breath's strengths. I think our, I think our gut reaction when you hear the term world building is to reduce it to setting, but it encompasses class, food, language, politics, religion, history, race, like so many things. That's true. And, and this is not in this book, but there is a food that is described in the second book in the series yes. that I think about still. Like I, I just like crave this food more than any other food. Like the the uh, little meat pies that they have at the fair in the second um, book, I think about all the time. <laughs> yeah. I learned what stargazy pie is from this book. Yes. I was like, oh, that's what that's called. I, I, I called. Because I don't crave stargazy pie. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, I'm <laughs> that, vegetarian. That one is <laughs> a lot less um, appetizing. But yeah, I think I think also pointing out like character first, because I'm thinking about the world building that Cold Breath does. Like I think the the plot with Ivy the maid, because mm-hmm. so Ivy is a very secondary character. She's not really central to the plot at all. And I think she could very easily just be 
someone on the sides, but she eventually elopes. And this is a big part of the plot of like why Mina gets more integrated into the, the second prize fight because they're, they're down a staff member. But that sort of like romance that she's taking on and how she describes her, her romance where we do, we don't even meet the guy that she runs off with. Mm -hmm. That feels like that's part of world building, but it's through the plot of Ivy, which I think probably takes up maybe a total of like 10 pages, like spread out across through the whole book of like, we get Ivy's whole arc from sort of flippant, almost like silly maid. She's the silly maid between the two maids that Mina meets. And then she has this very sweet romance where she has to run off. And that, I think that sort of shapes a lot of the, the, the world building for Mina. And like how we see, we also learn how Mina is more of a romantic than maybe she would seem because she's so supportive of Ivy running off. Yeah, she gives her a half half crown. It's <laughs> yeah. very, very nice. I like that you brought up the food in the this book because mm-hmm. so much, so many pages are devoted to Mina doing chores and like <laughs> making food and literally mm-hmm. running this in that I feel like I can picture it. And I think the more I read, the more I put weight on how memorable those scenes are. Like if I can picture them in my head, I feel like the author has done a good job writing out her writing out their scenes. If that if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was thinking about this earlier before we recorded. There are certain books that I, I'm not sure why it is, because I wouldn't even necessarily describe them as like description heavy books, but somehow yeah. I still have like very like specific memories of the settings that they're in. Like, I feel like I could have a dream set at the Mary Harlot and I would like know where the rooms are. (laughs) And another book like this is My Sweet Folly by Laura Kinsale. Mm -hmm. Something about the house in that book. Like, I know, I feel like I know where all the rooms are. And then there's a castle in the McCabe trilogy by Maya Banks that I just like, I feel like I know what the castle looks like. But none of these books I would describe as like, oh, like they're not doing like layout description. So it's like very integrated into the whole, the whole plot. And I think maybe that's, that maybe that's world building that I like where I, I know where rooms are. Yes. <laughs> Chels, I feel like I cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, um, yeah, I'm, I was trying to think of like houses that I feel like intimately familiar with. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's, it's, it's Graham's house from Black Silk. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I do. Graham's. I do like Graham's house. I do love the description of like the in Black Silk the like the center gardens that they have and like yeah. when she's like walking through the chairs because they're having a party and she's, yeah. it's like Submit is trying to like get across a room and there are all these chairs it's like that is that um, is that Graham's house or is that uh, his or mistress's is that, the, his mistress, that may be his mistress's yeah, house where she finds him at the party yeah um, I just think about that like awkwardly like yeah it's weird to move <laughs> through a party <laughs> that like you're not a part of the party. Thinking of oh. Submit and how she's talked about, like, because she wears black clothes and she, like, mm-hmm. shuffling around and just, like, has this very unique silhouette. And I think that's another thing that sticks in my mind. I don't even really like, like, clothes are fine. I know some people really like the details, but I feel like there are certain things that will stand out in my mind about clothes. And it's adding to the character because Mina had to, I think, dye one of her dresses black because, you know, she you, she's in mourning, but she doesn't have a lot of clothes. And then there's that part where, is it their first time they have sex? Where Naya's like, I want you in red stockings. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then she gets red stockings at the end of the book. 
And then I love that scene too, because there's like a, uh, uh, before you get to the stockings part, Mina has this kind of like trepidation about getting unclothed because she dyed her dress black and then that her yeah. underclothes underneath have like a grayish tinge to it, yeah, which is like not the sexiest, yeah. which is actually kind of like one of the few times you see Mina actually being kind of like a little bit concerned about the way like she has like uncharitable thoughts about herself every now and then when she's like looking in the mirror yeah. and she's just like I look like I'm a mess she's kind of like so uh hung up on like the practicality of things um that that's that was kind of a small moment where you got to see like Mina being like really really nervous about what she and I were about to do which they were about to sleep together for the first time <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that's these nice little details that are woven in that stick with you, but it's also like adding to the character, it's adding to the setting, it's telling us Mina has limited resources in the world. It's it's doing a lot. Mm-hmm. So world building is sort of one aspect of the structure of this book, but another part that's sort of different and really unlike a lot of books that I've read, I think I've only read one other book that is built like this. This is a single POV book. I've gushed before on the podcast about how much I love dual POV, but I also love dual POV and it's 99% of the books that I read. So I've, there, I've read two completely single POV books, this one and Uncertain Magic by Laura Sale. And in that book, Uncertain Magic, there's a very specific plot reason for it being single POV. There's some mystery here with the smuggling, but like I said, it, it's not it's not like a, a mystery that the heroine has to solve. It's more just... It's more of a mystery because it's single POV, but it's not being kept really from the reader. And Mina, Mina, Mina figures it out pretty fast. But what is the effect for y'all when you're reading this as single POV? How does it affect your experience of the book? And what do you feel like was added to the book by this limited perspective? I like that you brought up Uncertain Magic by Kinsale because that's a gothic romance and something that's a convention of gothic romance or as it used to be called romantic suspense, particularly when it was repopularized in the 1960s and 1970s is single POV. It makes a lot of sense why gothics in this era would be from the heroine's perspective, because a lot of attention is built on what the heroine doesn't know about her love interest. Like, is he a murderer? Uh, Does he love her or is he just toying with her? So Cold Breath actually mentioned that she's a fan of Victoria Holt in her Reddit AMA, and uh, Holt is a juggernaut of the genre, largely credited with revitalizing gothic romance with 1960s Mistress of Melon. Uh, which is a classic setup of a governess, spoiled ward, and a spooky slash malevolent aristocratic single dad. Uh, So in this book, Cold Breath isn't building like a huge mystery here, as you mentioned, but she does use the single POV to build tension in other interesting ways. So if this were a gothic, it would be a lot more about nice smuggling being the mystery, but Mina is fairly aware of it and also kind of unbothered I want to say like she acknowledges it but she doesn't really like dwell and Nye isn't being super subtle in that regard either so instead the single POV really just shrouds Nye's feelings about Mina which is also kind of a gothic thing too like you don't like how does how does the love interest actually feel slash spooky <laughs> and so yeah you called Nye laconic earlier and uh I think that's like 100% it. I think that it, the single POV does a lot of uh, work in like building up the marriage of convenience and building that tension, that miscommunication. Like it, it works really well here. Yeah, I like the single POV. I like that you talked about gothics and it's, and you're right, it's not a mystery. 
and a lot of mysteries are first person and it's all about controlling information which i think is similar to what's happening here like we're trying to control the flow of information and i think there's a world where uh there's a dual point of view bride for a prize fighter but i like how it is all through mina's perspective she's very naive she has this like uncommunicative partner and i think it enhances that part of the marriage that we she <laughs> how she perceives nigh where we can see that he's jealous but she's just like what is he doing <laughs> like, <laughs> i think it really helps actually at least for their story her, uh cold breath subsequent books they're both dual pov yeah i think the naivete uh of mina is really on point for the single pov because i think so it's one of the books i feel that when i'm reading like a virgin hero or a virgin heroine mm-hmm. i'm like she seems like a virgin like she's yeah. she seems very uncomfortable around men and there are some moments where i think nai is sort of like falling for her or trying to flirt with her and she is taking it at face value there's no she has no ability to sort of read between the lines. And it's there. those are the moments where I felt like, oh, a, an author who's writing a dual POV would have us flip and mm-hmm. has, see like Will sort of being frustrated or charmed by her sort of innocence or like misunderstanding him or even being frustrated by it. But that the, it, it feels because we only have her knowledge and we're sort of stuck with her thoughts. We, we're only getting this information from her where she's like, why is he acting this way? And it's like, oh, any historical romance novel reader would know that he's acting this way because he's like falling in love with his wife. <laughs> like he finds her yeah. beautiful and he's nervous around her. And he's also, so at one point he thinks that um, Mina is Jeremy's cast off mistress because he doesn't know yeah. that they're also half siblings. So he's also has this like jealousy towards that relationship. And he, he's like, he's mad at Jeremy for giving him his cast off. Um, because he he feels like Jeremy's treating him like a, a second rate man and all these things where it's like we would get that internal process of him dealing with like because he sort of has like a second son thing too because he's the illegitimate son but we don't get any of that internal processing because and Mina has no idea that he's doing that but also you can assume that he probably probably is processing that we are only just dealing with the external aspects of it which is also that's that's what life is like when you are dealing with someone else's internality. Like you only get the, what they externalize, which for Nye, for so much of the book, is not a lot because he's very quiet. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, yeah. And it's so funny just coming off the miscommunication episode that we did a little bit ago and talking about dual POV so much and then getting this book where there's just like so much, so much miscommunication and single POV and how it kind of like works differently but uh works really really well here um Mm -hmm. something that i think about all the time and really like is like the kind of misunderstanding of the purpose of the sitting room Mm -hmm. like uh for mina so nye has the sitting room that he's kind of like done up for mina like so he wants her to feel like kind of more of a fancy lady and he's like brought his mother's belongings in there um but he doesn't really know how to tell her that that he wants he's trying to do something nice for her so he's just like go in that room and sit in that room and enjoy that room and then every time she's like out somewhere else eating like dinner in the common room he's like why aren't you in your room enjoying your room and she's just like you don't want me to do anything why are you so bossy and I just thought I just loved that because like I could quite tell like this was extremely out of character for him to like to like bring up fancy things and try to make her comfortable and but and he's like a little bit embarrassed by it and he doesn't really know how if he can or how to tell her that he's trying to do something nice for each other so 
and he also is just kind of, he, he just, he, the way that he talks to Mina at this point is primarily just giving brief curt orders. Yeah. And so this is kind of like an extension of that to her. And instead of her seeing it as much of a kindness as it was intended to be. Yeah. And I think, I think some people might take issue with this, the sort of his curtness but again, it's like kind of like the virgin heroine part. I feel like this is a very realistic reaction to a marriage of convenience mm-hmm. where it's like he has to build himself up to ask her, like, do you even want to like try to be my wife? Like, or is this just going to continue to be a marriage of convenience? He knows that she after he realizes that she's not Jeremy's mistress, like he, he sort of realizes she's a virgin, realizes she does not have experience with men. And it's like, I don't want to like make her uncomfortable. Like, what do what do I do? But also, I've never... And it wasn't two weeks ago. I didn't realize I was about to have a wife. <laughs> um, so his his sort of brusqueness and sort of sudden ask of her, I think, is actually very realistic compared to Marriage of Convenience, which I also like reading, where they're suddenly like okay with it, like the, 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 their sexual relationship starts immediately, or yeah. that they understand, like that they they put duty first. They also don't really have a duty here. Like there's not like the heir duty because they're middle class. Like. They don't, there's not this pressure to have children. That's not why they're getting married. They're getting married for economic reasons, but not for the same sort of reasons that we see marriage of convenience in most other, like for that trope with the, with the upper classes. Yeah. Um, I like that you talked about how, well, both of you talked about how he's just issuing orders. And I think, again, that's very realistic, like you said, Emma, because he's, the boss at the Mary Harlot, that's how he's used to communicating with people. Like he just tells them what to do and they do it. And so for, he now has this wife where he has to learn like a new communication style. Cause you can't just issue orders to your wife, even though like Chell said, you know, he's trying to do a good thing. Like go sit in your parlor parlor. That's like for, <laughs> for nice women or the time he like tells her to go to the kitchen <laughs> Which sounds oh so God. bad, but he just doesn't want her around all those prize fighters. <laughs> and she's understandably upset, and it just leads to one of my favorite parts of the book, where he's like, this is my wife, don't don't bother her, don't look at her, her name is Mrs. Nye to you. <laughs> uh, Which is all Mina wanted was yes. for him to be like, this is my wife, like, be nice to her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And he was, and it was like, oh, okay, like let me because that's, I think that's what he thought he was doing when he was like, everyone ignore her. <laughs> yeah, but the other characters can tell, like, oh, he's really into his wife, and he's like staking his claim here. And Mina's just like, he's being so mean to me and rude, and it's understandable. I'm not like coming for Mina right. on that. Like she, like Emma said, she has very limited experience. This is her first relationship, basically. <laughs> Yeah, she hasn't quite gotten exactly, like, what is out of character yes. for him quite yet. Um, and he is also kind of acting a little bit in character, though, because yeah. like, it's still kind of like that abrasive, curt mm-hmm. behavior. Uh, but it's just like the reasoning behind it is different. So, yeah. like, it would be harder to get a read on that. Yeah, and also, like, the in-character, out-of-character thing. I think Mina presents in one way because there's this backstory with her where she's raised by the school teacher and his wife but his wife is a divorcee and it's like the, she realizes throughout the book like a lot of her life and how she was raised must have been the result of her parents sort of having to be isolated like the fact that she grew up in bath like sort of this isolated town and like by the 1840s bath is not like a heyday 
like vacation spot that it once was like for Jane Austen, it's sort of becoming more and more unfashionable. So she's in this remote location. Her parents don't really socialize. So she's very prim and proper, but she realizes that is part of that is coming from like the, the necessity of how she was raised. And also Mina, Mina is kind of sassy and cheeky mm -hmm. and she's always sort of like surprised at herself for doing that because she's, she's so used to people saying like, don't do that because you're a teacher. You're, you're supposed to be setting this example for people. And now she's like coming into her own as like a publican's wife, which again, Nye thinks like that's out of character for her, her but actually it may be better suited for her role as teacher. Like she seems to have enjoyed working as a teacher, but maybe finds her students a little silly. Like when Cecily comes, she's a little frustrated with the student who is, um, or the former pupil who is, it's not really thinking about the economics of situations. It's not very sympathetic. I think Nina gets frustrated with sort of the, um, the ton people from her students. So she, her, she's, we're watching the stakes change for her. So I think Nye is also watching Mina come into her own and learning like what is and is not like in character for her. And he has like one sort of vision of her. Like she comes to him in mourning and he thinks that she's like a prude. Uh, it's like Mina's not actually a prude. She just has never interacted with a man before. <laughs> right. Um, he tells her, I think it's maybe a little bit towards the end, they get into one of their many fights. Their fights are so fun. I yes. love their fights. Um, but they get into one of their many fights and then she's like kind of pretending that she's like had enough. And then Naya's like, you're in your element. Yes. And it's just kind of, she absolutely is. Like she was made for this. She's perfect for this. So we talked about Mina working and I talked about in the introduction of the series, the couples in the whole series so far have both been working class. So there's no like inheritance or title that's coming to save the conflict. No one's going to inherit a ton of money. Um, no one's going to suddenly be in a position of power that they weren't before. They just sort of have to muster forward. And their position at the beginning of the book economically is not that different than the one at the end. Mina's also in this position that heroines are often threatened with in books, I feel, where they're going to be saved economically by their marriage. But in this one, the, the marriage happens first. Mina is parentless. She's jobless. She's been looking for a governor's position. She can't find one. It's kind of unclear what would happen to Mina if Jeremy wasn't in the picture and he didn't come and whisk her off to Cornwall. I'm not sure if I've read another book like this except other ones by Cold Breath. So what are your y'all's thoughts about how she manages these sort of really grounded economics for what Mina and I have to do? I like that Cold Breath establishes why Mina says yes fairly early on. And Nye asks her, he's like, I know what I'm getting out of this. I'm getting my property. Like, what are you getting out of this marriage? And she's very straightforward and is like, I didn't have any options. Like, what was I going to do? You know, so I like that it's tackled right up front. Yeah, I think that relates to, like, consent in romance novels. Mm -hmm. um, like, it's not that Mina is not consenting to Nye. It's just that her consent is, like, holistic. Like, she has to look at all of her circumstances. Nye is not... Uh, he doesn't seem like he's going to be a cruel husband. He doesn't beat her. He doesn't... Uh, she's not in danger with him. And so her option seems pretty good. Like, it seems... This is... But she also... What is her other option? Like, going out on the street? Like, she's she's not even somewhere where she's been before. She's in Cornwall. She's not even where she was raised. And But this, like, that consent... And cold breath making it explicit that Mina has to like articulate it to herself and then articulate it back to Nye. That's something that I feel like in other romance novels is also a problem. Like these heroines who don't have places to live unless they marry the hero, or that they're they are currently living in the house of the hero, or they're beholden to the hero economically. Those consents 
are also complicated, but the book doesn't necessarily make it complicated. And it's, it's sort of this like unspoken thing because they want the consent to, to be like enthusiastic and romantic while Mina's consent is more, it's romantic and economical, or it's really starts exclusively economically and then becomes romantic. And that, that, that's, that she sort of makes the quiet part out loud for the, for that part um, for Mina. Yeah. I really like that point. I think that it's, it's good to kind of like have kind of like a clear eyed view of both like where Mina and Nai stand. And I like that not just at the beginning and then, but also at the end, like something that I thought was kind of novel is how, um, so kind of at the end is usually like, okay, and then here's how they make their fortune. Yeah. Uh, and this doesn't happen in this book. In fact, it has like a pretty, uh, pretty big time limit. So they have their, they're going to be kind of like a coaching station. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 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 People are going to like stop the, ha- the horses there. Yeah. They're going to expand that part of the, of the Mary Harlot, formerly Mar- Mary Harlot. They renamed it to the prize fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have kind of like a hard stop at like 10 to 20 years based on railroad expansion. So they know that they have to make a decent amount of their money within this time. And that is, I think that's really cool. I think that's kind of reminds me of, Lydia from the Black Shears, where she, when she was like working at a courtesan, she's like, okay, I have, I'm going to do this for a certain amount of years and then I'm done. And I'm just going to live off of this. It's not necessarily this like beautiful, elegant dream, but it's, it's security. And that is, I think that's like what a lot of people really strive for. So there's kind of this common idea that romance is a fantasy and that it's an escape. And I do think it can be, but I balk at the idea that comes with it that there's always a wish fulfillment sort of self-insertion, which is like what how I think people refer to like the Duke romances and the ones where they like have to overnight address the modiste and stuff like that. And I think that like having Mina and I as main characters and getting to read them in these situations with their own compelling story and deep mutual respect for each other. And like some really stunningly romantic scenes, I think kind of just like puts, uh, I think that should kind of like put that to rest because to me, I, I don't read romance for extravagant wealth. Like I think it could be really fun to talk about things that come with wealth, like uh, the artwork of the time, the fashions, the, the beautiful dresses. But there is all, also, you know, stargazy pie <laughs> and uh, walks in the middle of the road. Yeah. <laughs> and other things that kind of like uh, read as much more a much more compelling grand gesture than some that are just kind of like throwing money around. Yeah, I feel like often wealth is rewarded to characters at the end of the book. And I don't really, I don't know. It's not that it's bad always or bad per se, but I wish we could investigate these other ways to end stories. (laughs) Like you're saying, it's just as romantic, these walks that they go on and just the meals that they share together. Yeah, and I think people struggle, like, when they're, it's like you talk about like middle class or working class romance in the historical period, people struggle. It's like, what, like, what do they do? Like the, even the characters are like, what, what will I do if I don't marry well? What will I do? Like, what will a Viscount do if he doesn't marry an heiress? It's like, well, you work, what do, what does anybody do? Like when they don't have money, like yeah. <laughs> they, they work. What do um, Viscounts do now? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, there, there are jobs, there are people. And like, I think like that, 
and I think this relates to like Nina and I sort of as like side characters that we would meet. Like they're like even in the un uh, the unmasked where they they go off and when they're eloping when um the brother and sister are eloping they're not brother and sister Louisa but... and yes Graham no that's the wrong uh, name it's a G. Gilbert 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 yes, Gilbert. yes. <laughs> Louisa and Graham this is unmasked when, by the Marquess <laughs> oh yes unmasked by the Marquess oh um, when the a secondary couple elopes in that book they meet a couple at an inn who's like who helps them and I love that we read this so close to that because the, like Nina and I I could imagine them sort of being the secondary, like, older couple that we meet in a romance novel, sort of helping someone, mm-hmm. especially as they're, like, going to be, like, an exchange, like, coaching in. It was like, people are going to be coming there who are eloping. Yes. <laughs> it's just very, very sweet. But yeah, there there are these, like, side characters who are, who get to have their love story. And it's, like, these side characters who work. Because we obviously, in romance, we're frequently meeting people who are in service, people who are running inns, who are making sure that the couple like can move through the world. But obviously these people also have relationships and they can be romantic even if they're working for coins. Yeah, I love that Mina stays close to the servants. Like at the Mary Harlot, we have Edna and Ivy. Ivy's the one who elopes, but she still keeps in contact with her maid from her old home, Hannah. Like there's a few parts where she mentions Coldbreath mentions she that Mina writes a letter to her. Mm-hmm. So these people have like much more fleshed out lives in this book, whereas in other romances, it's just much. Maybe your maid is just there with you, or just like <laughs> like what is her internal life? We don't know. But Coldbreath is one who will investigate that. Yeah, and something that I have just been, I've been thinking about so much, especially with this book and them kind of like working at the inn and being in that part is that these characters, like, uh, I'm glad that you brought up Unmasked by the Marquis because Cat Sebastian, like, of course, like kind of treats them like people, Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of, so many historical romance novels where every time we get the inn scenes, I'm just kind of like cringing my way through them because they're sometimes they write these, these characters as like comic relief who would be kind of like overawed by the Duke's presence in a road trip romance where there's eventually only one bed. Uh, so I feel like there's kind of an unsubtle hostility in writing these characters. They're like, uh, we'll do anything for an extra coin. They're, um, obsequient and this has kind of been a source of ire for me a lot of the times so seeing Mina and I written this way is really nice and I also kind of wanted to get back to Ivy because if anything it's the barmaid who really suffers and Ivy is kind of one of those characters where she she is she does sex work she she works in the she works in the bar it's just like a part of her life and she's very kind and she's friends with Mina, but this character and a lot of other historicals is kind of just like, oh, it just stresses me out so much. It's usually the ones who are like uh, threateningly flirting with the yeah. man and like right. brushing their boobs up against them. And yeah. This will like uh, make the heroine realize that she she's like, oh, I do have feelings for this man that I've been trapped in a carriage with. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like those scenes, and they're so common. Like I could, I bet I could just like pick up a book off my shelf and I can find one of those (laughs) scenes. Like it's just so common, and it bothers me so much because it just feels like there's like a hostility to the working class, and I don't get it. Like I don't quite understand why that's necessary. So that's kind of another reason why I really appreciate them kind of getting their own story because I do think that they're. I don't think being a duke is inherently more interesting 
I guess maybe I should say, since we're talking about Ivy, I did call the Barry Harlot a part brothel, but uh, mm-hmm. Nye makes it very clear that he's, like, not taking part of any of Ivy's earnings because this, like, and this is one of the things that I think impresses Mina the most, that, like, Ivy sort of gets to do her own thing. She runs her own business. And so Ivy ended up in her circumstances because she was the victim of, like, a bigamist scheme. Like, her first mm-hmm. husband was bigamist and had sort of, like, abandoned her to the world um, after... Uh, his bigamy was revealed. So she, she it's like falls on sort of bad luck where she can't and she can't come out of this like social hole because she she's like a fallen woman because of a bigamist man, so someone committing sort of a fraud. But yeah, Ivy's great. And I also like that Mina is this like bridge between Ivy and Edna, the other maid, who sort of they don't seem to get along at the beginning of the book. But then Mina is just like genuinely interested in both of them and makes sure she treats both of them with respect. So she treats Ivy with like more gravitas and she gives Edna pretty things. And I think both of them think the other one is the one who would get those treatments, like that Edna would be the serious one who is treated with respect and Ivy would get the the gifts, but she treats them both equally. And I think that helps their relationship. And that's just nice to see that Mina is like available. It, it sort of clues you in early that Mina would be good at being a publican's wife because she's good at like bringing people together and having them get along. She's so good at reading people. Like she knows, uh, I think there's one point where she says that Edna's greatest dream is to own like a tea kettle and three cats. Yes. <laughs> it's like, and where did this information come from? But like I, Mina just knows. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I do, there was no point where Edna was like, I want a tea kettle and three cats. But like I, but you could, um, there were like scenes where Edna had been kind of very f- careful with uh, Mina's China and I mm-hmm. think that maybe is kind of like where she like picked up on that mm-hmm. but yeah no I just really I really liked I, I really like getting that information from her uh, yeah so one side character in this book sort of looms large and um, has like maybe an outsized presence in the plot and also our minds and that's Jeremy the so that's both both hero and heroine's half-brother it's um, Nye's half-brother through their father yes Yes. And uh, Mina's <laughs> half-brother through their mother. So uh, Nye and Mina are not related, but they are both half-siblings with Jeremy. Jeremy is the Viscount. He pulls them together. He's a weird guy. He's a weird character. And how Hilt Coldbreath handles him is fascinating. So what are your reactions to Jeremy in the book and also sort of his side plot in the book? I think more rich people should be depicted the way Jeremy is like you said he's weird I'm like rich people are weird like they can kind of just do like they have access to things that other people don't and they can get away with things like how would you not be like a little weird from that (laughs) so uh, and then we later learn he's going through this really rough marriage he and his wife Amanda they're gonna get divorced and I think he drinks a lot because of it like yeah. that's the whole reason that Mina and I even end up together is because he's Jeremy- drunk yeah. Wait, he, he was like I was like I had been drunk for like two weeks and this is like the one part where Mina's like not great at reading people she was like oh like that like that makes sense now that like the entire time I knew you you were drunk yeah yeah <laughs> so cold breath handles him so well I think, I mean, you said you did not like him the first time you read it. I When I read it, I didn't like him for the first half of the book. And then by the end, I was like, I kind of love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought he was, I thought he was going to be much more, of, I, I think I was like waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was right. like, Jeremy's going to betray Nye or something. Like yeah. he, He's being set up as this villain because he's so useless. Though I, on, on the reread, I did realize 
so he's he does have this like very sincere affection for his son. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like he his son has been brought back from boarding school. The mother wants to send him back to boarding school. Jeremy really doesn't want to because it's like the there's like a consumption outbreak at school, and he's like, I'm not sending my child back to like this infected school. And they seem to like get a, it. Kind of reminded me of Dane and his son, where it's like he meets him at his level. Um, Teddy is a little less troublesome than Dane's son in Lord of Scoundrels, <laughs> but <laughs> it's like Jeremy all of a sudden, who we, we see as this like only indulgent of his own whims, is suddenly like indulging his son's whims in this very charming way. And and it, it sort of explains things to him at his level. It's very it wants him to be close to his aunt. It's very sweet. And so that reading it at the second time um, made me realize I was like, oh, I, I see more that a cold breath is setting Jeremy up as having like some redeeming factors. And he just seemed to genuinely care about Mina and Nye by the end of the book, or even earlier in the book. He just doesn't doesn't know how to how to do it. And he, the reason that he gives for why, wanting to, them to get married, he's like, it makes sense to me that like two people that I I should care about should live together. <laughs> they should be married to each other. Right. My two half siblings. It's like more convenient for me. Yeah, I love um, Mina and Jeremy's relationship as well because it's kind of fraught a little bit at the beginning. Mina doesn't know how to take him. Nye even says you call him Jeremy and then you call him like by his title sometimes. Like you should probably decide whether he's your brother or not. But there's this very sweet scene that I love where Teddy, the, Mina's about to say goodbye and then Teddy's like, well, you should give Jeremy a kiss and so it'll be just like okay so she kisses him on the cheek and Jeremy's actually like did you pull at my heartstrings <laughs> like I just I love that little little uh, relationship development on the side there so yeah they're very sweet so Cold Breath has talked about making Jeremy the hero of a future book though she has uh, in a few different places has said like she's struggling to think of like what what his story is going to be but I think it would be interesting for both to see Cold Breath write a Viscount and also like what her vision of like, who's going to be, who's going to like take Jeremy down a peg. Cause yeah, he's just, he's one of those like secondary characters who just sort of like sticks in your craw um, where you're like, what, what could that be? Which is interesting. It's like a definitely like a flip from normal. Cause the, we usually have like a vision of like what a Viscount is like. And, and he's also usually the hero while the people moving around him are not the central characters. I guess. Yeah. The only thing that I was going to say about Jeremy is that like, I, I think kind of like one of the really interesting things about him, because like, yeah, he's kind of like a chaotic force, but like he, um, he's very, very lonely. And I really like how Cold Breath shows that like the very, at the, um, at the very, I think it's with the picture that I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, his, he and Mina share a mom. And so kind of like one of the first things, cause he's never seen her before. And when he meets her for the first time, he's like you don't look anything like her. And he's like palpably disappointed mm-hmm. um, because he didn't really have that much of a relationship with his mom before she ran off with Mina's dad. And I think that he was kind of hoping to form some sort of connection with Mina through that. And that kind of like comes up a few different times in like a different photograph. So there's also another photograph later on, and that is of Nye's father which is also jeremy's father and nye looks just like his biological dad and so so in that case he kind of does have that connection with nye that he was kind of like looking for with mina for like the visual connection but he had like a obviously very fraught relationship with his father so i think that he's just kind of like a little bit untethered family wise and and also being kind of like stuck in a bad marriage 
he, I think it's kind of like interesting to see him and Mina like kind of dancing around, like forming a relationship with each other. And then like at some points, Nye too, because Nye, I think just really doesn't like Jeremy at all. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that um, them kind of like all being together as a family unit is pretty interesting. So we were talking earlier kind of about this kind of miscommunication between Mina and I and how uh, they were kind of like didn't have a good read on each other and were just like generally getting very frustrated with each other. And a lot of this was done by single point of view. And so we talked about how single point of view is frequently an element of gothic romance, but there's something that's kind of a pivotal moment in the book where Mina and I argue, I think it was when he was... what was it when he was telling her to stay in the kitchen or I think it's when it's I think it's right after the clippings where um she sort he sort of snaps at her and says like those are my clippings and she stands there for like five minutes and then is like what do I do and then she runs so that she bolts out um because he's just like snapped at her and left the room yeah and then so she snaps or he snaps and then she runs away and she's like fleeing onto the cliffs which is like a very gothic image so we're kind of back to this gothic thing again and then Nye being kind of like the laconic gothic hero but what I want to talk about when it comes to the cliffs is I this is like a turning point for Mina and Nye's relationship this is actually when like the kind of like enough moment what are your thoughts on that Yeah, I love that it's also one of the moments where I think Mina realizes that she is also being misinterpreted because she thinks that she's the, that if if Nye talked to her more or told her more things or was more clear, that the relationship would be more compatible or more, like, easier. But Nye thinks that Mina's, like, about to run off the cliff. Like, everyone thinks that she's about to commit suicide and that comes up. Later, it's like they that the rumors about that are going to help the smugglers cover up her murder. So it's like there's this sort of rumor that like Mina was running towards the cliff to fling herself off of it, which is never Mina's intention, really. Like she sort of realizes that, oh, that could have happened if I'd been running fast enough. I could have slipped over the cliff, but she climbs down the cliffs instead. And so Nye comes after her and like it's like grabbing onto her thinking like, oh, my wife was like about to commit suicide. And when she realizes that that was his interpretation, I think it's the first moment where she realizes like, oh, I've also not been like clear with him about how I'm feeling because I don't want to, I don't trust him. Like there are all these, it's like, why would you tell her, tell him these things? And it's like, that was also happening on his side. So like, why would he be forthcoming about his feelings? You're a stranger. So that's a big part of the, the turn that it's, she realizes that she's in a relationship with him and that what, she's experiencing he may also be experiencing on some level of like oh what do I do with this person who I don't know is a stranger I'm now living with so it's this like moment of empathy for Mina towards Nye yeah it's also the I feel like this is the cold breath formula where you have your marriage of convenience somewhat reluctant partners but then the male character is like i'm gonna take care of this person (laughs) and right so they get back from the cliffs uh he insists mina take a bath he insists she keep the door open just because and he says in the book like you look like you're about to drop like you're you look exhausted so i just want to make sure like you're okay and i just i don't know i think this is what makes me keep coming back to cold breath i just love this particular dynamic over and over again in every kind of setting so yeah it's it's really great and it's kind of like and this is kind of a a a way that he can communicate kind of early on before he's like able to really 
talk to Mina because like they're like uh, nonverbal signals of care, like washing your partner, putting lotion on them, like brushing their hair. Like this is kind when of when he like brushes a- her hair, it's like <laughs> <laughs> it, it, every time I read it, it just it like wrecks me because it's not even like it's not sexual at all, but it's like the sexiest thing he does in the book where he's like, I know that you're going to fall asleep on it unbrushed. So you just have to let me brush it. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. Yeah, I think Cold Breath really excels at those, like, nonverbal cues and, like, building the relationship between couples spending time together, talking together, maybe not quite understanding the other person, like, showing up and supporting. It's, yeah, definitely one of her strengths. So we've all read The Prize Fighter. Like, we've read the whole series. Um, Which one is your guys' favorite? I think my – I think Emma and I both – uh, like substitute wife for the prize fighter, probably yes. the best. Um, I just I love that's the one that said at a traveling fair, mm-hmm. which it's like I I didn't be, I couldn't believe that Cold Breath took world building in this book and like raised it to the nth degree of like having setting putting me in a totally new setting because it's not even it's not even in a house it's like in a it's in like a traveling caravan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so charming. I would I would would have said the second is my favorite but maybe after rereading this one maybe it's tied for both but i like the traveling fair and in the third one it's set at like a theater a theater mm-hmm. yeah well, so i'll tell you what i like the best about because i love i think all of them are so good and they they don't they're not similar to each other at all like they're all mm-hmm. prize fighters but there's not really like i think the second one is only the one that really like substantially deals with prize fighting yeah, yeah. he like um, has this boxing booth and he does like, it, currently like every boxing, yeah. yeah like people challenge yeah. him and he fights them yeah so i mean we just did a whole episode on why we like this one the second one i think is really really great of uh, such a good kind of like really intimate slow burn. Like it's kind of hard to describe, but yeah, the the fair life. I could just read that. I could read like a thousand more pages of that book. <laughs> um, and the third one I th- is uh, the heroine. She's like an actress, and she wants to be a male impersonator. And something that's like so delightful about the third book is that her husband of convenience doesn't think she's gonna she can do it but she doesn't realize that so the whole time he's like she's gonna fall on her face and and then but uh, he's still supportive the whole time like he internally doesn't believe she can do it but outwardly (laughs) is doing everything he can to help support her career and so eventually it becomes him being afraid because he cares about her like he doesn't want her to like be embarrassed or like fall on her face or something (laughs) And like I, I'm like I know we want Jeremy's book, but I'm like kind of okay with I'm like I'm on the outlier here where I'm like kind of okay with not. Uh, Cold Breath said in her AMA that she's like struggling to put him with other people, but then that kind of goes back to so something that we said offline is that maybe Jeremy should because I think he's kind of a little bit of a chaos bisexual. Yeah, he so should have a boyfriend. He should maybe, I think Jeremy should maybe have a boyfriend. Um, yes. So I think he's definitely, so he's, one of the plots is that his wife is having an affair, we think, with his valet. Uh-huh. And it seems like the jealousy from Jeremy is definitely over the valet and not his wife. <laughs> um, and it's like, maybe maybe he's in love with his valet. Um, yes. So just, actually, I'm actually back in. Jeremy Book, if this is the, if this is the outcome. I think not, I, there's not enough valet 
and because like I think of how romantic that is, like someone dressing dresses each you other. Yes, day. like <laughs> when when your relationship takes a turn and he's dressing you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> something you've done time and time again and maybe it meant more to the valet but all of a sudden jeremy sees it oh my god sorry i just (laughs) no it's it's like okay wait cold breath are you listening to this please yeah yeah, she said like you uh, like you said jills in her ama that she she like auditions like she'll do like a write something out and right, like a see, chemistry read yeah, of writing yes <laughs> i love that so much and she just hasn't found like the right right person yet but because it's his valid cold breath <laughs> <laughs> i also it's right in front of our face i also want to like we talked offline as well about how we kind of want a book for amanda even though it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like she's not portrayed very nicely in this book, but I love that actually as a start for her character. I think it could be so cool to watch. And Amanda is um Jeremy's wife. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Just for um, um, yeah, she is the the closest that there is to like a they're I mean they're villains, the smugglers who kidnap Mina, but even them they're they're kind of charming. Like yeah. even, um but she she's kind of used Amanda's the pl- function of her plot, she comes to the Mary Harlot. And sort of talks down to Mina and also the servants. And it's sort of this like union where like Mina is is aligning herself more with the prize fighters, uh, women and the servants than Amanda, who she might have access to through her like relationship with Jeremy. So she sort of turns down that like upper crust connection because Amanda's talking down to her and talking down to the the life that she lives. So Amanda's definitely like very uppity. And is very unsympathetic. She like sneaks away so that she doesn't have to continue confronting Mina. She seems very like duplicitous, but I think she could be an interesting heroine. Yeah, I I love a, yeah. like a very unsympathetic character. Because <laughs> then if you can make them sympathetic, oh, the journey is just like so nice. Yeah, you got to start somewhere, and you should be at the worst. Yes, please be the <laughs> t- most terrible person. I will read your book. <laughs> Continue to be terrible. And thank you so much for listening to Reformed Rakes. <laughs> if you enjoy the podcast, you can find bonus content on our Patreon at patreon.com slash reformed rakes. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram for show updates. The username for both is at reformed rakes. Thank you again. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>